A volcano in northeast New Mexico is the attraction at one of America's oldest national monuments. Visitors drive to the top for a view into four states across a landscape dotted with volcanic features. A nature trail among lava flows at the base reveals the power of earth forces and the ingenuity of life's recovery. Join Rock On Mother Earth for a stroll with a ranger and an interview with an expert on New Mexico's volcanoes. I'm Roadside Geology of Georgia co-author and Walks and Talks guy, Bill Witherspoon. Welcome to Rock On Mother Earth. We get the beat of the planet from her landscapes and rocks. Episode one, Capulin Volcano. How tall is your imagination? Rising more than a thousand feet above the high plains of Northeast New Mexico, Capulin Volcano has been a national monument since 1916, the year the National Park Service was born. Ranger Jeff Goins is the interpretation and fees manager. He grew up at the foot of Mount Rainier Volcano in Tacoma, Washington, and watched eruptions at Mount St. Helens. Ranger Goins' best-known passion is astronomy. You might have heard him speak of the dark skies at Capulin on public radio. I asked Ranger Goins how interpretive rangers invite us into the story of Mother Earth's landscapes and rocks. Interpretation is taking information and helping it have meaning to your audience. It is internalized a lot better. So you kind of have to remind people of what our brains are capable of. And the number one word you can use to do that is imagine. I want you to imagine a perfectly flat landscape out here 60,000 years ago with mastodon and giant ground sloths and the ground starts rumbling. You know, you start feeling the ground moving underneath you. Uh, and smoke starts coming out of the ground just a few miles away from you. Throughout my Capulin visit, my own imagination kept falling short. The morning after I strolled in shirt sleeves at Capulin's base with Ranger Goins, I drove to its 8,000-foot summit and hiked around the rim. I had failed to imagine how much wind speeds up over an obstruction in the high plains as big as Capulet. Oh, boy. It's wind. It's almost trying to blow me right off the mountain. Obviously, I did not quite blow off the mountain. I hung tight to study photo panoramas on signs. Labels identified neighboring volcanic features to the west and on the horizon the 12,000-foot-plus summits of the southern Rockies of Colorado and New Mexico. Continuing to the east rim, signs identified more volcanic features and beyond them the high plains of Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. Completing the rim loop, I imagined sheltering from that wind by walking the path to the bottom of the crater. There I met other visitors whose similar expectation had been let's say, blown away. I asked Jerry from Palmer Lake, Colorado to describe where we found ourselves. We're standing at the bottom of a bowl. According to the sign, about 105 foot deep. Okay. So, and lots of lava rocks with lichen growing all over it and a lot of wind. Yeah, yeah. It turned out that Jerry had watched the excellent film I had seen in the visitor center. He was game in his understated way to imagine the eruption. What do you think this would have looked like? Would you have been standing here when it was erupting? Ooh, it had been all bad. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you think it would have looked like? Uh, 
hot. Yeah. And lots of flames and yeah. molten rock and stuff. Yeah. And, and no vegetation, of course. But Ranger Gowen's description from the previous day tells how much more Jerry and I needed to stretch our imagination. The volcanic forces were, were blowing out lots of gases and water vapor uh, and lots of little bits of lava. And then it fell back down and created this, this large cinder cone. We're looking at, at trillions of cinders of, of little, little splatters of lava that got thrown up a thousand feet in the atmosphere, cooled and fell down. You would have heard the sound of the vent, which is all the gases and, and rubble blowing out of the vent of the volcano. It would have sounded like uh, uh, someone cut the hose on an air compressor yeah. and just you know, wow. but, but much deeper. Yeah. A big, it's a big throat up there. Uh, and then material falling off, so that big rumbly, uh, hissy kind of sound. Two days earlier, I had arrived in New Mexico after more than 1,200 miles of driving from my home near Atlanta, Georgia. I had wanted to make such a drive ever since family trips in 1962 and 1964 had fired up my original interest in rocks and the planet. I wanted to get the measure of the Great Plains by driving across them, and then to be visually rewarded by the landscape of geologic wonders in this northeast corner of New Mexico. Ranger Goins and I conversed about the lead-up to Capulin for those who, like me, drove in from the Texas Panhandle. A lot of people from Texas don't realize that the whole time you're heading towards New Mexico, you're going uphill. We're in the middle of the 8,000-square-mile uh, Raton-Clayton volcanic field. Uh, there's over 125 volcanoes around us. As you approach New Mexico, uh, a little bit past Texline, I think, is where you can start seeing a couple little bumps on the horizon. Yeah. You know, and, and Texline being named after being here, that's the state line. It's right on the state line. And as you get closer and closer to Clayton, it becomes more and more prominent. Uh, and so Rabbit Ears Mountain mm -hmm. is one of the first ones you see. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, you'll also notice. Um, a much larger hill, and Sierra Grande is is very different from the other volcanoes Absolutely, around here, yeah. because it was not uh, a one and done volcano like the cinder cones. It's mm -hmm. not a cinder cone. Yeah, it's a composite volcano. Okay, so we're coming up from Clayton. I come to a rest area, right? And yeah, the rest area about six miles from Des Moines. I haven't seen Capulin yet. You haven't seen Capulina yet, no. Okay, so now what happens? I'll leave the rest area. So you leave the rest area and you head towards the town of Des Moines. As you go uphill towards Des Moines, you get to a point where you can see these two little bumps on the on the uh, top of the hill and you see uh, the top of Capulin Volcano and then the cone shape starts to become evident. But those two little bumps, those are the two peaks uh, that Capulin has. It's a real distinctive shape. And you can imagine if you were uh, traveling, you know, this cutoff on the Santa Fe Trail, mm -hmm. uh, or you were doing a trade route as a Native American or anything mm -hmm. like that, you would look for those two little bumps, mm -hmm. you know, as you traveled from, from east to west. And as you get around Sierra Grande, you start noticing a lot more peaks in the distance, <laughs> quite a few more. You can see Laughlin Peak and you'll see Horseshoe Prater. You know, as you get towards Capulin, uh, way in the distance, you can see Tanaha and there's a, a black mountain and a green mountain, and, uh -huh. and you drive across the prairie and you see all of these volcanoes as you get into the town of Capulin.
Mother Earth keeps stretching the imagination of rangers like Jeff Goins with the aid of scientists. It is handy to know someone who is both immersed in research on your area and skilled in teaching. Volcanologist and geochronologist Matt Zimmerer of the New Mexico Bureau of Geology and Mineral Resources answers Jeff's questions about Capulin. He is in an excellent position to track the evolving geoscience. His current research includes the age of volcanic activity in the Raton-Clayton volcanic field. I sought out Dr. Zimmerer to learn about what I saw on that trip to the volcano summit, beginning with an overlooked turnout on the drive up. It was about a half mile from the top. There's one turnout, and I turned out, and of course, there's a gorgeous view on one side, but us crazy rock people turn and look in the other direction. And <laughs> and here here was this series of sloping layers towards the left. What, what am I looking at? What we're looking at is is an artificial cut into the to the flank of of Capulin volcano. We can see numerous layers that appear tilted, probably close to 30 degrees or so. If you could have gone back, you know, 54-ish thousand years ago when this volcano was active, you would have seen this big column of of lava getting ejected many hundreds of feet into the air, uh, sort of like a, a water fountain, but because it's made of, of lava, we call it a lava fountain. And as that lava was injected into the air, it, it uh, would have cooled into these small little pieces of rock we call cinders. And then those cinders would have uh, fallen onto the flank of the volcano and, and gradually uh, built up over time. So each one of those layers represents a, a very short uh, period of maybe minutes to hours, but the entire package of layers, you know, was probably days or, or weeks of, of deposition. As I walk towards the middle of the turnout straight across, it doesn't look as layered as the other one. So what's the difference? What am I looking at here? I think this is a little bit of a trick of the eye, believe it or not. Here, the layers are pointed towards you, and so you just don't have the advantage to see the layers dipping because they're sort of dipping in your direction. Okay. The one thing that actually catches my eye, though, there's this dark uh, kind of semi-circular feature right in the middle of the outcrop. And that is something called a volcanic bomb. Lava shot into the air, it, it cools and it fractures into a bunch of different size uh, pieces. Anything <laughs> less than about uh, two millimeters, we call ash. Between about two and 64 millimeters, we call lapilli. And then volcanic bombs are uh, greater than uh, 64 millimeters. One of those volcanic bombs, if I were standing out there with some kind of umbrella to try <laughs> or something to I wouldn't I wouldn't be standing there when this stuff is raining down, right? But but I'd be more scared of the bombs than I would be of the cinders, or are they're all kind of scary, right? Well, uh yeah, there you you probably wouldn't want to be anywhere near this volcano when it was erupting. Um certainly the the ash and the smaller size fragments that are are falling down probably aren't, um, you know, gonna knock you on your head and and knock you out like a volcanic bomb would. Um, but one of the things that um, we've seen from active volcanoes is is that ash, even though it's it's small particles, you know, it can build up to really thick uh, levels. And so if if you have 
ash falling on the roof of your house, for example, it can eventually cave in your house. Um, when you look at ash underneath a microscope, um, it's got these very jagged edges. And so if you breathe that in, it's hard on your lungs. It can be really abrasive in your eyes. Uh, so uh, certainly wouldn't want to get hit by a volcanic bomb, but you certainly wouldn't want uh, to have a bunch of ash raining down on you either. Uh, so no, no part of it would be very fun to experience, I don't think. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, well, let's go to the to the crater next. So usually I think when people climb up, this is what I did. You walk all the way around the rim. And then if you're still up for something at the end of that walk, there's the little trip down into the crater. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went down to the crater and I, I ran into some other visitors and we were all expecting that we would be out of the wind. I think a couple of things that surprised me, I, I was sort of expecting this to be all kind of the uniform small cinder cone cinder and instead there were some places where there were looked like outcrops of solid rock and then this sort of pile of talus I, you know these are chunks of fairly large rock and i wasn't expecting that inside so what's why why do you get solid rock in the middle of a cinder cone there can be a lot of different reasons uh why there's solid rock versus this more soft material like ash. When there's this fire fountaining lava that's being ejected from the vent into the air, if the material coming down out of that, that plume is still really hot and it hasn't yet hardened into these little rock fragments called cinders, that material can land on itself. I guess you could sort of think of them as these little molten blobs of lava piling up on each other really quick and essentially turning into like a little miniature lava flow. If it doesn't completely cool in the air and it still lands in a molten state, that's called spatter. The other thing that could uh, also produce lavas within the, in the crater um, has to do with what ultimately triggers these eruptions in the first place. Um, so the, the main thing that triggers an eruption is, is the expansion of volcanic gases in the magma chamber that, uh, cause so much pressure. Eventually the magma breaks through the surface and, and erupts in some parts of the, the history it's of a cinder cone volcano. It's very explosive and is producing lots of material, but there's only so much gas that can be in a, in a magma chamber. And eventually you might erupt the very gas rich parts and then uh, lava st still keeps coming out, but it doesn't have much gas in it. And so instead of producing an explosive eruption, it produces what we call an effusive eruption uh, which is where the, the lava just leaks out. And so sometimes, um, sometimes in the crater, you can get these, uh, very mild eruptions where lava's, uh, essentially filling up the crater or the case of, of Capulin, a lot of the lava leaked out the sides of the volcano to produce these, uh, extensive lava flows. So you might have, what, something like a lava lake at times in the, inside the crater? Yeah, yeah, you can you can certainly have lava lakes in in the crater. Um, mm -hmm. Yep, they're they're fairly short lived as opposed to you know, some volcanoes have lava mm -hmm. lakes that go for you know decades or maybe mm -hmm. even even longer. 
So when I'm standing down there at the end of this trail, the vents filled with a lot of, of what looks like loose rocks. It looks like maybe there's, it almost looks like tailless. Was there maybe a spatter flow that was up to your left when you're standing at that spot that kind of broke up and became a tailless slope or something? Or, or, or what, why, why do you think that it's so chunky? And, and also when I was there with visitors, they, they remarked on the fact that most everything's vegetated, but that is not. So is that something that is a more recent landslide or is it something that the lichen doesn't want to grow on for some reason and break it down? Or anyway, what's, what's that pile of rocks that we see down at the left when you get down at the bottom of the crater? Yeah, well, that's a that's a good question, and I'm not really sure. I haven't looked at that too much, but one thing that would be interesting to do is to maybe walk up that talus slope to see if you can find a maybe a bit of a erosional scar where um, maybe some rock came loose that might help uh, support that idea. Or another thing you could do is to look at the textures of the boulders to to try to see if you can. Um, tease out what its original material was, if it was a lava that came out, maybe out of the, the wall of the crater, or, or maybe it's this uh, spatter-fed flow where material is building up on the rim and then sort of uh, flowed back down in, into the crater. The other possibility um, uh, is, you know, it, it's a, this is a, actually a pretty cold part of New Mexico, and these craters can be a little wetter than other places. And so in the winter, you can get this freezing and thawing that sort of breaks up uh, rocks, potentially why there are these big angular rocks right in that one, one region. The lava flows Dr. Zimmerer mentioned poured out of an opening at the base of the cinder cone. The opening is called a boca, which is Spanish for mouth. Multiple flows from the boca are visible on the lava flow trail that Ranger Goins and I walked on near the visitor center. He noted that many visitors are surprised Capulin is so green given its origin as cinders and lava rock. The conversion of rock to soil begins with lichen, which is actually two organisms teamed up, an algae and a fungus this greenish leafy stuff and there's yeah. some grayish kind of bumpy yeah, yeah. stuff and little little knobbly orange bits and these are that, patches on the on, on the, the rock, rock but they're yeah. a little bit rough texture this is lichen they process you know air water and the rock and then die and that goes to the ground underneath the rock yeah so now you've got uh soil yeah. broken down rock mm -hmm. that other plants can use probably start out with grasses first mm -hmm. um and then those grasses uh, will slow down the winds yeah. that blow over the volcano. That drops any dust that might be in the wind uh -huh, also, yeah. and that continues to contribute to the soil. The dead grasses, roots, and, and stems and everything uh -huh. continue uh, to build up that soil. These uh, uh, juniper trees and um, some ponderosa pine and some uh, pinyon pine trees. So they're finding cracks deep down in this rock uh -huh. um, and getting to, you know, water sources that are, that are inside that mm -hmm. rock. And they continue to break the rock down into smaller pieces. You get more surface area and the cycle just continues oh. yeah. until, you know, the whole mountain has a pretty good load of soil on the flanks of the volcano. Mm -hmm. And then we look at different directions the volcano is, is facing, mm -hmm. you're going to have some plants that like full sun all the time, some plants that uh, do well in the shade, uh, like the oaks. 
in the uh, crater where there's a lot more oak and there's almost no juniper or pinon. Um, and then there's other places where uh, you can tell that the lava that came out of the volcano didn't have quite the chemical makeup that plants needed, uh, that the lichen liked. And so there's very few plants, oh. uh, especially in the crater. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Probably later in the eruption process, uh -huh. you know, that uh, that that kind of rock just wasn't good for plants. Yeah, it wasn't as tasty, yeah. exactly. Now we're walking here and, and I see this sort of a wall yeah. of rock. We're right here on the edge of the lava flow, one of the lava flows. There's there's seven major identified and, and I had a geologist that said, well, really there's almost 20 and so. <laughs> so you imagine that, that viscous molasses-like yeah. Uh, lava flowing out of the base of the volcano. Yeah. And so that viscous lava comes out. And uh, if you've ever seen like a flash flood video, there's a there's yeah. a head wall, okay. you know, yeah. uh, and that's what this is. This is the head wall of the lava. Flow. Oh, it's this, coming towards us. It's coming towards us, right? This rock. And was this wide? Has, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Some of these are a mile wide. And so this this has pressure behind it from liquid lava. Uh -huh but it's starting to cool and break up into uh, rock. Okay. And so the, the lava's cooling, making a, a wall of rock, but it's not, it's not uh, solidified yet. It's still really friable. It can break right, right. very easily. And okay. so it does. And so you get this tumble of rocks okay. going ahead of the lava flow, kind of acting like a moving dam so that's holding real, the lava back. Very quiet here right now. Yeah. What would it have sounded like when this was heading towards you? Uh, lots of lots of rock falling on other rock. Yeah, <laughs> you know, been really loud. Yeah, right? really loud. And would and we have been able to stand this close, or would it have been too hot? You no, know? we probably would have been able to stand this close. You know, you watch videos of people in the recent Icelandic volcanoes, uh -huh. and they'll walk right up to it and, and uh, you know, with like a stick and cook a hot dog or or, or marshmallow. <laughs> oh, uh, really? Yeah, it's oh. hot though. If you get a if if suddenly the danger with that is a big sheet of rock could suddenly just fall off. Oh, okay. And and so if you don't get crushed, now you've got exposed, you know, 2,300 degree lava wow. right behind that rock and okay. you get blasted by heat. And I've okay. seen that happen when people are suddenly running back and they show, you know, their arm got burnt or oh, something. No, so don't do that. Don't do that. They tell you <laughs> don't not try to, this at home. Don't get close to lava. Right. Uh, so uh, you would have heard the sound uh, up here on the volcano. I don't know how tall it would have been at that time, but yeah. of the vent which is all the gases and, and rubble blowing out of the vent of the volcano. Yeah. This, interestingly, as uh, a lot of this rock is falling, materials change sound at different temperatures. So now, you know, we would drop rocks on each other and it's just that chunky rock crushing, chunk, chunk, chunk kind of sound. Yeah. But if you watch videos of this actually happening, uh, it's, it's a ringing sound. Oh. The hot rock actually will ring like a bell. Wow. And sounds it sounds almost like glass breaking. Wow. It's a really interesting sound. Oh. I wasn't here, I don't know, you know, 60,000 years ago if this made that sound, but just watching the, uh -huh. the Iceland volcanoes and the Hawaiian volcanoes, you get on that head wall yeah. of the lava flows and it sounds it sounds like glass tinkling. Wow. It's really and, and, and rumbling and you know everything else oh going gosh. on with a volcano. So being standing here 
you wouldn't want to you'd be terrified right i mean <laughs> well it's you know it's it's creeping along at just a couple miles an hour okay you yeah, know? yeah so uh what do you think the animals around here were, were doing well you know we had gr giant ground sloths and oh yeah and, yeah and you know mastodons and, okay. and 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 other other big megafauna around here and of course some of the smaller animals here lots of pronghorn they were around still there was a north american cheetah that might have been around here mm -hmm. i imagine they ran away <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, I guess yeah. Too. Uh, or, you know, I can imagine too, if it was winter, you know, maybe get a little bit closer to the lava flows and, uh -huh. and get some warmth from those rocks. Oh, yeah. You know, if it's not moving anymore. You ever heard John Muir's story about, about being on Mount Shasta? No. Oh, there's a wonderful guy who does one man shows of John Muir out at, at okay. Yosemite, and he tells the story. and. Muir is on Mount Shasta and nearly freezing to death, and they find a fumarole. Oh, okay. And so he's burning on one side and freezing on the other, <laughs> yeah. but he stays alive. And 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 inhaling, you know, sulfur dioxide right, and right. everything else. But that it saved his life. Yeah, so. yeah. And we're coming up to a sign that says Sierra Grande Viewpoint, right? Which is the first sign I've seen on here. Before we get there, though, yeah. Notice these uh, these bulbous like pimples coming up out of the, yeah. the lava field. Yeah, yeah. These are squeeze ups. How big are these things for our listening audience? Uh, it's like 35 feet tall. Wow. <laughs> About how far across? Oh, probably 50 feet across. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. They, they squeeze up out of the, the lava as it's, uh, as it's flowing across there. Uh -huh. uh, you know, that, that, uh, that obstruction uh -huh. uh, forced it to, to squeeze up. So it, uh, yeah, there's a number of them kind of in a line. So I was wondering because they're in a line, we see these, these two are in a line. Yeah. Does that mean yeah. that the tube was running along yeah. that line? Yep. Likely. Or just, you know, it, it could be a, a tube, and it, but eventually, you know, the lava stopped flowing uh -huh. and it just solidifies. Yeah. Now you'll find lava tubes that are open. There's, there's lava tube caves uh -huh. where the lava ran all the way out. Yeah. Uh, and you can go inside the tube. We're looking for those on the moon and on Mars. Yes. You know, oh, right. because, because you can, you can use those caves because they're, they're naturally, uh, sheltered uh -huh. and also keep you out of the radiation. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. So, the, so you have NASA people. You said that come out here sometimes. Uh, we have had NASA people. They they used uh, Capulin for part of the Apollo training. Yes. Um, yeah. And we we haven't found pictures yet, but we definitely have records of the days that they were here. Oh my. They went yeah. to here into Philmont Scout Ranch. Uh, actually, I think uh, two of the uh, Apollo Eleven crew had actually uh, were Eagle Scouts and had been to Philmont as uh -huh. kids. Many people visit Capulin for the stunning views from the top. A sign at the parking area and others on the rim trail identify features near and far. It is a sparsely settled landscape with the town of Capulin to the south on the main highway and the town of Folsom to the north. Near Folsom is a famous archaeological site that George McJunkin discovered in 1908. A self-taught naturalist and cowboy, he had been born in slavery. In 1927, experts at Denver's Natural History Museum found a spear point at the site embedded in bones of an extinct type of bison. This proved that first peoples were in the Americas thousands of years earlier than previously thought. I asked Dr. Zimmer to talk about the many volcanic features seen from Capulin's summit trail as well as the distant mountains to the west. If I'm walking up from the parking lot up on the rim, and I get up to the point where I can get start to get views looking off towards the west and towards the southwest. I think the most distinctive thing that you see looking out in the, towards the southwest is this very, very smooth mound. That is uh, another volcano. 
called Horseshoe Crater, and it's a it's a cinder cone, but it's a, it's an older volcano than Capulin. So Capulin's about fifty four thousand years old. Horseshoe Crater is about two hundred and forty thousand years old. So if you had just been at Horseshoe Crater right after the eruption, the slopes the slopes would have been uh, quite steep, but erosion over time has has caused material on the upper flanks to to um, travel down onto the lower flanks, thus thus producing this um, um, very broad, rounded hill. So, um, if you scan a little farther to the right, you see the Laughlin Peak. To the right of that, you start to see this faint kind of blue jagged outline on the horizon. What's what are the bluish mountains on the far horizon to the west? Sure. Well, those are the uh, Sangre de Cristo Mountains, which are the the southernmost mountain range in the in the Rocky Mountains, um, and those peaks, uh, even though they don't look very big from all the way from Capulin, they're anywhere from ten thousand feet above sea level to uh, a little over thirteen thousand feet in the area near near Taos. This is a, a massive mountain range. And so the the rocks that you'd find at the top of those thirteen thousand foot peaks, what what kind of rocks are they? Are they... yeah, so they're they're much older rocks, um, and they're quite quite variable. Where we're looking, the rocks that are uh, at the top of these you know, ten to twelve thousand foot peaks are actually limestones that would have been formed in a shallow seas. And they're they're quite old. They're from a period I think called the Pennsylvanian Permian, so um, around three hundred million years ago. So uh, New Mexico wouldn't have looked anything like this, and it wouldn't have even been in the location it's at right now on the the planet. It was down near the equator. It probably would have looked kind of like the Caribbean. And so those limestones would have uh, been deposited on the on the sea floor and eventually buried and turned into rocks. Um, but over geologic time, those rocks have been exposed at the surface and then uplifted, uh, you know, ten thousand feet or more. Now form the highest highest features in in New Mexico. There's also uh, really really old rocks in there that are. 1.4 billion years old so uh, uh, about a third of earth's history um, that are from deep 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 in the earth's crust that have been brought to the surface from uh, from a combination of erosion and and faulting hmm. okay well um, so if we walk all the way around the crater rim trail and you come around and you start to get around on the on the east side uh now you're looking out you don't see any high mountains on the horizon eventually you just get to flatlands out there mm -hmm. um and <clears throat> if you one one distinctive feature in this is if you look um you look towards that you you can see sort of the road that heads towards the town of Folsom New Mexico which I didn't know until I got up on top of the rim itself was the place where near where the famous Folsom points were discovered. Um, sure. But um, but just to the right of that road going to that town, you see a little 
uh, thing that looks very much like capulin itself, but but is tiny. Uh, and and so uh, so maybe we could start by talking about what that is, and then uh, maybe some of the other features and uh, that that you see off that side of of the rim trail. Sure. So as you look to the north northeast from uh, Capulin, uh, what you're looking at uh, in the immediate vicinity with uh, this feature called Baby Capulin and Twin Mountain and, and Pervine Hills. These are the, the youngest eruptions in the Raton-Clayton volcanic field. So you know, Capulin is famous because it's this beautiful volcano, uh, but it's not not quite the the youngest in the the region. So, after Capulin uh, erupted, the next eruption was Baby Capulin uh, at about forty five thousand years ago, and then the the last two eruptions were uh, Twin Mountain and uh, Pervine Hills at about. 37,000 uh, years ago. Looking out from this point where you see baby Capulin to the right of it, I think the next feature that really looks like a mountain is, is the one that's called Car Mountain. Then Twin Mountain and Pervine Hills would be just a little bit to the left of Car Mountain. Is that, does that sound right? That is, that is, those are the topographic features. And uh, it would be great to uh, find some old photos. So Twin Mountain is, a, is another cinder cone. Um, but this is a cinder cone that's been uh, largely mined away. Um, so the a, a company mines the cinders there uh, for building materials. Um, we also, uh, in the desert southwest, we use cinders uh, on icy roads uh, instead of salt. So the, the cinders are dark. Uh, and they're very grippy, and so the the tires can grip them, and then they heat up uh, in the the sun, which there's plenty in in New Mexico, and help help melt the ice. And then people use it for landscaping as well. So there might have been a you know fairly large size uh, mountain, you know, comparable to Baby Capulin, um, but it's been mined away. <laughs> Uh, and then Pervine Hills, they're they're kind of smaller smaller uh, volcanoes as well. Um, not not as big as Capulin, but they're hard to see on the landscape. And then off to the right of of Car Mountain, if we're picking out the the one kind of significant pointy mountain you can see out in that direction, there's sort of a a line on the horizon, and and I understand you can see uh, actually. Ranger Goen said you could theoretically see all the way to Kansas, but you can certainly see the highest point in Oklahoma out there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and and why is that? What is that and why is it high? What is that? Well, uh, I've never been there, but uh, my recollection is that's, that's a lava flow uh, from the Raton-Clayton volcanic field that uh, flowed you know, many, many miles or kilometers away from its, its volcano, um, probably in a, in a valley, uh, which is fairly common for, for lava flows. They flow just, just like water, so they seek out topographic lows. Uh, but an interesting thing happens is that the lava flows, even though they, they fill in topographic lows, once they harden and, and turn into uh, 
in this case, a, a basalt uh, or a lava rock, um, that's very resistant to erosion. And so over time, the surrounding landscape erodes down much faster than the lava does. And so at one point, the lava filled the lowest part in the landscape. And now because of erosion, and it's so uh, resistant to erosion, it now occupies the, the highest part of the landscape. And I think that's what Black Mesa is in, in Oklahoma. So closer to where we're standing, um, you know, we've mentioned Baby Capulin, and just to this, this side of Baby Capulin, there's a, <clears throat> also looks something like a crater, uh, and it's, the, it's tree covered on the far side and bare on the near side. Mm -hmm. and, and that that would be Mud Hill. I understand that's a little older than Capulin. Is that is that correct or do we know? That's right. Yes. Yes, we know. That's a, a much older volcano, about uh, 1.7 million years old. So uh, quite quite a bit older. It's still one of the younger volcanoes in the the volcanic field, the I think the volcanic field's oldest eruptions that we know of are about 9 million years old. So you're 1.7 still on the, the younger end of the, the field. Uh, but it's a, it's a very uh, different eruption style when you, when you crawl around on Mud Hill. Um, the, the deposits on the flank of the volcano have uh, evidence of, a, of a, what we call a wet eruption where as the magma, the molten rock, was traveling through the Earth's crust, it intersected a, a zone of groundwater and produced this very explosive, way more explosive than Capulin ever would have been, eruption of, of steam and, and magma. Uh, it doesn't have the, the cinders that you see on, on Capulin, for example. It has much more ashy material, which is characteristic of a, of a wet, uh, eruption. Uh -huh. I guess whenever you're looking, you're looking off of Capulin in almost any direction, you can see some of the lava flows that came from Capulin. That's right. And and I understand from from the at least on this mapping, the the people that that did the study earlier on Saren Ort, what they called the fourth series flow was out in this direction, and it actually is both out to the right of Mud Hill, you can sort of see an area where it doesn't look quite so smooth. It's a little bit darker and a little more vegetated. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then uh, over there close to Folsom on the, on the left side of Mud Hill, there's actually a very forested area that would be the, another end of that same flow. Yeah, so every direction around the volcano, there are these lava flows that emanated from Capulin Volcano. With this fourth series flow, it looked like it was flowing to the north, and then it hit this older volcano, Mud Hill, and the flows sort of went around it. Later, you'll hear Dr. Zimmer reflect on where and when New Mexico's next eruption might be. We'll finish the episode with his take on Mother Earth's volcano recipe. Why are there young volcanoes in the southwest, but not in our home states of Kentucky and Georgia? But first, let's contrast how quickly Capulin appeared on the landscape compared to other mountains. Near my home, the oblong hump of Stone Mountain is as much a landmark for Greater Atlanta as Capulin's Cone is in its neighborhood. The scale is similar. Stone Mountain's walk-up trail gains 700 feet in elevation slightly greater than Capulin's road from its visitor center. 
In the 1990s, I was eagerly training to lead classes of fourth graders up that Stone Mountain walk-up trail. My geologist colleague Nan Hubner at Fernbank Science Center initiated me into greeting a class arriving for the hike. She and my predecessor had created an ingenious introduction with little more than a whiteboard, a red and black marker, and some acting skill. The message, Stone Mountain, was never a volcano, but it forms deep underground from hot magma. 300 million years ago, long before the first dinosaur, the magma cooled into granite. Fast forward to 10 million years ago. At last, erosion exposed the top of the granite. It was just a little gray bump. Act out the ease of climbing Stone Mountain 10 million years ago. Hop onto and off of a spot on the floor. I'd be on Stone Mountain. I'd be off Stone Mountain. Contrast the effort to walk up today. On the whiteboard, bring them to the present day and even 10 million years into the future. Erase the softer rock around it as water carries it away. More of the tough granite is revealed year by year. It is a long story, enough abstraction to boggle the nine-year-old mind. Or that of any of us, if we're honest. Mountains usually have a slow, complicated history, as the Capulin Orientation film neatly points out. Even composite volcanoes such as Sierra Grande and Mount Rainier built themselves over tens of thousands of years. Cinder cones, like Capulin, are different. As we enjoyed the Sierra Grande overlook on the lava flow trail, Ranger Goen spoke. He pointed to the features that Capulin eruptions piled up on the prairie. You will hear how my imagination again fell short in terms of how quickly Mother Earth produces a cinder cone. It may have only erupted for a few months to a few years. It's not like a multi-generational process. Cinder cone volcanoes are pretty quick. Short-lived, they, yeah. they, they don't have long lifespan. So, so we multiple lava flows, but they, they might only differ in, in with 20 years, you know, or- Or, or two years, weeks. Or two weeks. Yeah, yeah, so the, you know, the, you can imagine the volcano uh, erupting with a lot of gas and, and force, and, uh, and then that gas is, is relieved uh-huh. and and it starts filling up with lava uh-huh. and then that lava gets to a certain point and the it can't hold the pressure of that lava building up in the in the cone anymore uh-huh. in the crater and so it blows out the side of the volcano and flows down this way uh-huh. and starts to cool and solidify and that lava mm-hmm. you know has depleted now mm-hmm. and it builds up around the mouth again mm-hmm. uh, and then that how process happens again there's another eruption period with more gases and cinders coming out making the yeah. volcano taller that gas is expelled <clears throat> the lava starts building up again and it goes out the same boca or near it uh-huh. but now there's lava in the way and so it might go another direction and it will like it might go north uh, so there's lava flows you know six miles north uh-huh. and, and three miles south and, and only a couple miles uh, to the west here. So most of, most of them kind of went north and south, but the, some of them wrapped you know, from the north and then it caught a drainage and wrapped around the volcano and went out to the east. Yeah. Uh, so they're kind of all around the volcano except on the, the extreme eastern side. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no flows that way because all of the, all of the flows came out of this, this western side. I hadn't been aware of anything about cinder cones until I started reading about this volcano that erupted in Mexico called Paricutin. Yeah. Paricutin was wonderful because it was the first volcano that the USGS got to very near mm. the start oh, oh. and got, you know, color film. 
Yeah, you tell me about it. So what, yeah. what happened at Paricutine? Yeah, so uh, a, a farmer uh, noticed one day there was there was smoke coming out of his field, his cornfield, and he went out to investigate. And there was a crack in the ground with, with you know, smoke coming out of it. He's lucky he didn't die because, you know, it could have been sulfur dioxide gas, which, you know, will burn your lungs and wreck your life. Uh, but he, he saw the crack and short of anything else, decided to just start throwing rocks into it. And he tried... He tried putting rocks into it and the next day, um, you know, more smoke and now material was starting to spurt out of the hole and he uh, uh, realized that this was not something he could take care of and, and over the next couple of weeks it took over his cornfield and eventually over the course of, uh, what was it, two years, mm -hmm. I think, it, it destroyed the town of Paracutine mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, it's about twice the height of Capulin Volcano. That's like, uh, Capulin's a thousand feet above us, is that right? Or? Uh, it's, from here, it's, it's only a few hundred feet above us, but Capulin, the town of Capulin down here, mm -hmm. is around, you know, almost 7,000 feet, and the top, the, the highest point on, on Capulin is 8182. Okay. So, yeah, it's just, just more, a, more than a thousand. More than a thousand feet, feet above, yeah. Above the, what the, used the prairie. to be the plain. If Paricutin could pop up in a Mexican cornfield in 1943, what can New Mexicans expect of their volcanic fields? Dr. Zimmerer has searched for an answer since the mid-2010s. I asked him about the chances of another eruption visible from Capulin Summit. I talked to Ranger Goins and asked him what kind of questions people ask, and he says, Sometimes we get kids that are a little bit worried that we're going to have an eruption that day. Uh, so we have to talk about how there's you know, active volcanoes, dormant volcanoes, and extinct volcanoes. Is this volcano really extinct or could it erupt again? And if Capulin itself is extinct, you know, what are the chances of out in this scene we're looking at of you seeing another eruption? Most of the volcanoes, they're sort of a one and done volcano. They may be active for months or years, but once they stop erupting, the activity then commonly moves to another place. So the activity in this region has been slowly migrating away to the east. But there's been, a, been a, about 9 million years of volcanic activity in this, this part of New Mexico with some fairly young eruptions. You know, 37,000 years ago is not too long ago for us geologists. And so Probably the best way to think of it is that the Raton-Clayton volcanic field is is dormant with the possibility of future eruptions, but it probably won't be from Capulin. And I understand that actually you've been working on a project to look throughout New Mexico. Where have the volcanoes erupted more recently? Where are they most likely to erupt? What's the hazard of another eruption in New Mexico? Can you talk about how you've gone about that and, and, and what you're finding out? About 10 years or so ago, I, I started on a project to try to better characterize the volcanic hazards in, in this part of the American Southwest. There's about 12 volcanic fields, fairly similar to the Raton-Clayton field, found more or less throughout all the state. We didn't know when we started this project, how young are all the volcanoes and where are the young volcanoes? and are the eruptions um, 
happening in a in a systematic way or are they just sort of randomly distributed throughout the landscape uh, i use geochronology which is the science of measuring the ages of rocks existing maps and some studies that had shown that you know there are some young volcanoes in this region in in most volcanic fields we've found younger eruptions than were previously thought and we've been able to show that in many of the volcanic fields, the older vents are on the west part of the volcanic field and the younger vents are on the, the eastern part. What is the age of the youngest eruption in, in New Mexico and where was it? So the youngest eruption in New Mexico is uh, located about an hour west of Albuquerque, the McCarty's lava flow, then the Zuni Bandera volcanic field. It's about three to 4,000 years uh, old. And we've dated as best we can all the eruptions that happened in the last 500,000 years. In general, the eruptions in New Mexico happen about every three to 4,000 years. Um, so what that tells us is that even though there hasn't been any activity for 4,000 years, this is just sort of the normal pace for volcanism in the state. So we're not anticipating any uh, eruptions in, in the near future, but there's no reason to believe that there won't be uh, a future eruption. Did you wind up making some kind of a risk map that shows where where you think the greatest likelihood of, a, of the next eruption is at in the state? No, we haven't, but that's certainly one thing that can be done with the, the data set. Some people People have ideas of where activity uh, could be. One is is in this Zuni Bandera volcanic field. If you look at the the one place in New Mexico that's had the most eruptions, just in the last hundred thousand years, over half of them have come from this one region. So it's it's by far the most active part of the state. Some studies prior to even when I got involved in this uh, have found that there are zones of, of magma, molten rock, uh, at, at two different places beneath New Mexico. Um, one's beneath a place called the Valles Caldera, uh, which is uh, about an hour north of Albuquerque. Um, the other the other place that has a partially crystallized magma chamber is is right below me. As I'm speaking to you, called the Socorro Magma Body. It's uh, it's about 19 kilometers below me, or I guess it's about 12 miles or so. Some folks have wondered that you know, maybe maybe there could be an eruption in this this region, although there haven't been any in the past. You presumably you would have enough warning to move New Mexico Tech out of the way, right? <laughs> We, we would hope so. There are uh, some instruments that uh, monitor earthquakes and, and ground motion in this area. So I think we're, we're safe for now. So we're in this corner of New Mexico, and you said there are several volcanic fields around New Mexico. And I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and we don't have any volcanic fields in Georgia. So what's Mother Earth's recipe for a, a place that's as exciting as New Mexico? <laughs> In terms of volcanic features. The crust in New Mexico and really most of the American Southwest is slowly getting stretched apart. And New Mexico associated with it is the world famous geologic feature called the, the Rio Grande Rift. 
a rift is just a, a place where the Earth's crust is being pulled apart. And anytime that happens, two things always take place. Seismic activity as, as a valley gets created and mountains get uplifted. The other thing is volcanoes and, and lots of eruptions and the effects of that rifting and the production of magmas uh, can sometimes be quite far away from the, the central axis of the rift. When you go to Georgia, my home state of Kentucky, the Earth's crust there is very stable. But here in the, the American Southwest, the Earth's crust has been stretched and the consequence is lots of eruptions. And the Jemez volcanic lineament I read about, which starts at the Raton Clayton field and continues down to the McCarty's flow and the Zuni Bandera field you talked about. And it trends across the grain of the Rio Grande Rift. And is, is there are there ideas about why you have that diagonal trend that crosses the more north-south trend of the rift? There are long, long, long time ago, about one point four to 1.7 billion years ago, uh, the North American continent didn't look anything like it it does now. Um, it, but it was a plate, and there are these plates on the Earth's surface that are moving uh, at about the same rate your fingernail grows. And occasionally, a small little piece of crust would, would hit the North American plate. Where those two plates met and it eventually became one stayed this point of weakness and magmas like water tend to find areas of, of weakness that represent these this place where two plates connected and that's i think one of the more common interpretations of the Hamez liniment this very ancient weakness in the earth's crust in our next episode Across the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, we visit Rio Grande del Norte National Monument. There, the wide floor of the Rio Grande Rift Valley might be unbroken today, except for an event in Colorado 400,000 years ago. Join Rock on Mother Earth for a hike into the canyon that one of America's great rivers has cut in Episode 2, Wild Rivers, the Power of Water. Thanks to the National Park Service and Ranger Jeff Goins. Thanks to Dr. Matthew Zimmer of the New Mexico Bureau of Geology and Mineral Resources. I'm Bill Witherspoon. Remember to get the beat of the planet from her landscapes and rocks. Thanks for listening to Rock on Mother Earth. Get the beat of the planet from her landscapes and rocks. So rock on.